Welcome to my second episode of Advocate for Life. My name is Kathy. I'm a nurse of 29 years, and like everyone else, I'm trying to stay informed and obviously exercise wisdom as we move about in what has become our new normal. Um, I've been a not even a little, a lot concerned about not only the pattern of transmission, but the lack of clarity. I've been trying to really research on my own, listen to, you know, a reputable station. I do believe that we are getting fairly accurate information from CNN. Um, however, there's not a lot of attention, I should say, or any communication about cases that don't really seem to have the clear-cut transmission. I know that this uh, virus can stay in the air for three hours, and I'll give you an example. If I walk into a grocery store and someone has coughed in that grocery store and they're infected with the virus, the, the remnants of whatever they've coughed can stay in the air for three hours. They do recommend, like if you're in the car or in the house, opening windows, which can kind of disrupt whatever is lingering in the air. However, you know, I'm. but you're also hearing that people that are infected with the virus have been in sustained contact. I don't think that's necessarily true. I actually have a very good friend and colleague whose cousin in his 40s tested positive for the virus. He and his wife had essentially been self-quarantined for the most part, but would get out in the neighborhood. So if they're just simply getting out in the neighborhood, that doesn't really constitute sustained contact or sustained exposure. So there's something either that's not being conveyed, that's not been identified, or that this virus is lingering in a pretty solid format longer than the experts are conveying to us. So again, what I'm doing is kind of self-self-quarantining because it's not just about us as a group staying in the house. Every time any individual that's in the environment that you're quarantining yourself in goes out, they're potentially exposing themselves. And when they come back home, they are exposing you. So within the house, Whenever I touch the refrigerator, countertop, again, any commonly touched surfaces, I have Lysol or some type of disinfectant in hand to clean that surface, any surface that I'm going to touch. Still doing frequent hand washing, but I'm really taking this serious. I'm not going out and about if I don't have to. I'm going to work. If I need something from the store, I go to the store. I come home. I stay in my room. I'm not mixing and mingling because, again, everyone that's going out of the house that are, you know, in commonly um, dense areas in grocery stores and whatever. Because people I don't really even feel like in the store are really attempting to exercise the uh, distancing, self-distancing. I know there are some stores I've heard Walmart or Target that have like the tape down to so that you won't stand too closely behind the person in front of you. So, um, but other than that, I mean, I noticed that people are really just coming right up on you. One other disturbing thing that I saw yesterday, I was in a local store and I'm in the Gulfport, Mississippi area. And this particular store had a bag of disinfectant wipes 
that people coming in the store had to touch the bag, reach in the bag, tear the wipe before they clean the cart. What you have to understand too about cleaning those carts, those surfaces really should dry before they really would be considered safe to touch, honestly. So what you may want to do, first of all, don't take a wipe out of the, you know, public bag of disinfectant wipes. If it's not something that you can can easily be torn like a dispenser, you probably do best serve just not doing anything because anybody that comes in to touch that community property and they're infected is going to pass that on. Yes, well, some of the germs probably get killed. Yeah, probably. But there's parts of that bag that's going to be contaminated. How will you know where to touch on the bag to do so? So in terms of the grocery carts, what I would recommend for sure is taking a, a wipe from a dispenser or bringing your own wipe wiping the the rail the edges of the cart anywhere in the cart that you might touch down but keep that rag keep that disinfectant wipe on the cart and you place your hands over top of that until another section of the rail dries because technically if it's wet it's not completely protecting you it may disrupt the proteins by wiping the the cart handle but it's not going to completely kill that virus that surface must dry any alcohol based wipe that pretty much will evaporate very quickly but the regular disinfectant wipes or if you're spraying something some aerosol can't even speak aerosolized type of spray it that surface has to dry before it would be considered you know a contaminant free so um i'm really interested in hearing um individuals that are aware of people that have tested positive and they have no idea why the only caveat that i can even remotely understand is the fact that the virus can remain in the air for up to three hours. I'm hearing that this virus can remain on surfaces anywhere from nine hours to three days. So you should be wiping your surfaces down very, very frequently. Of course, as I stated before, your phone, which is probably one of the dirtiest pieces of equipment that you can carry if you are not using um, Prudence at placing your phone down on any, you know, flat surface or whatever. I actually spray myself when I go to work. When I get off of work, I spray myself with Lysol, the clothes that I'm wearing. I don't sit on my bed or anything. I take a shower first, put my clothes in the dirty clothes, and and then I will, you know, sit on my bed or get in the bed. I don't come back home and sit on anything that that virus could potentially shed from myself onto another surface. So it's 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 scary. It is it's very scary out here um, in terms of looking at the way people are moving. I'm not sure what people are not understanding about the virulence of this virus. It spreads quickly, it spreads rapidly. And because we're not all complying like we are being instructed and recommended that we do, we are not flattening that curve. And the purpose of flattening the curve is so that the healthcare systems can get enough of a break to treat people. It's almost like a matter of not 
if you're going to get the virus, it's almost like when you're going to get the virus. So if the healthcare system can get a break in treatment, can have enough equipment, can have enough ventilators, um, then it will give them enough of a break so that those people can be treated and moved on and hopefully the virus resolved before the next wave of people. You know, of course they, they want to limit transmission, but as powerful as this virus, as this virus is, it is, you know, unless we're being very, very prudent in how we're moving individually and collectively, we're not going to get a break. Um, I heard one ER intubated, which is the, you know, putting the patient on a ventilator, four or five people back to back to back came into the ER and required intubation to be placed on the ventilator. Now, in my first episode, if you recall, I was sick. I didn't know what I had. Um, I was since tested for COVID-19 and it did come back negative. I'm suspecting that I may be recovering from a type of viral pneumonia, not a type, a viral pneumonia. Um, I still sound a little bit barky. I still have this dry cough, but I was actually tested for influenza A, B, strep, and RSV, which um, the latter is an upper and also an upper respiratory type of virus, most commonly found in children, but adults can get it as well. My concern for myself right now, that because my lungs are not at 100% and I do suffer from asthma, but I rarely have any episodes. Typically, if I'm around fresh cut grass or I actually cut the grass every now and again, I've gotten a little bit of chest tightness with exercise. Um, But other than that, my inhalers typically will expire before I actually use them and need a refill. So my concern for myself at this point is that My lungs are not 100%, and I do feel like I would be uh, significantly more compromised if I were to become infected with the virus. Um, I am a nurse. I don't do patient care. Um, I work more in an administrative capacity, but there are nurses in my department that are basically being deployed to go do patient care. And they're doing this in phases, phase one, phase two, phase three, and however long. And I'm sure they'll rotate those nurses out and send other nurses over um, to the ER, to med surge, um, in whatever other capacity um, that they might be needed. However, um, I do feel uh, super compelled to avoid as much as I can. Like I'm feeling like a prisoner in my own room, but I do feel like it's definitely for my safety and the safety of the people that reside in the house as well. So you guys be safe. If there are any um, stories, any experiences that you would like to share or uh, you would like to, for us to maybe do a broadcast together, um, I would love to hear from some of the other healthcare professionals. Um, And uh, I think that would be very interesting. I think the best thing we can do is continue to communicate, to continue to be transparent and educate each other because no one case is necessarily the same. But I do believe that there is could possibly be some missing component because there are so many people that are testing positive for COVID-19 and they can't track where they contracted the virus from. And the only thing, again, that I can think of is that they were in a public place and the virus was suspended in the air for whatever length of time 
it can can be suspended in. So um, my email address is, is part of my voice. I'm sorry again. I'm my voice is not quite back yet either. My email address is advocate a d v o c the number eight the number four l i f e at gmail.com. Again, that is advocate for life at gmail.com. A D V O C the number eight, the number four, L I F E. I do pray uh, God's blessings on each and every one of you. Please stay safe. Please take this serious. This is an extremely serious matter. They are having to make life and death decisions for patients because they don't have the equipment that they need to sustain the lives of our community. So please do your part. Stay inside as much as hot possible. If you get cabin fever, go out in your front yard or your backyard. Open a window. But this is serious and it is going to wreak devastation for many many more months. We have to brace ourselves. We have to be smart. We have to move with wisdom. God bless and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Hello, welcome to another episode of Advocate for Life. I'm your host, Nurse Kathy. Today, I sadly dedicate this episode of this podcast is Shafonda Wiggins, an African-American woman, 41 years old, mother, wife, who did succumb to the coronavirus. 30 days ago, several of us didn't personally know anyone who had actually contracted the virus, let alone succumb to it. Now, most everyone that I've spoken to has known someone or know someone who knows someone that has not only contracted the virus, but has died from the virus. Let's not let the challenges of those who were fortunate enough to endure the virus and make it to the other side, and particularly those who are mourning the loss of family members who have died from this awful virus. Many of our governors are rushing with haste to open up the states in planning or hopes of rejuvenating the economy. I've never seen a dead man walking. The only industry that will be rejuvenated or sustained are those in the mortuary industry. We must use wisdom. It is not by chance that the areas in many of these states that are being allowed to go on with business as usual are those most heavily populated by the African-American community. It's not worth us getting our nails done or hair done to be casket ready. I assure you that your family and friends will not give a flying flip about how they looked in the casket when they're leaning over your body with tears flowing down their face. We have to be insightful. We have to use wisdom. We have to scrutinize our own selves and police our own selves. Because clearly, 
the political parties that are leading this nation does not have our best interest and even our life into consideration to do what is best for us. At one point, there was it was rumored that African-Americans did not get the virus that quickly changed and it was no surprise to me. I actually had a conversation with a colleague stating that I figured that we as black people would probably fare worse if we contracted the virus simply because of our comorbidities alone. Let's use this time to learn and as a lesson to propel us into thinking forward. It's not necessarily preparing for death, it's preparing our bodies that if those unexpected things, and it doesn't have to be the coronavirus, it could be any illness. When we are dealing with multiple other issues, diseases, diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, lung disease, pulmonary disease, uh, constrictive pulmonary disease, those things are all going to adversely impact our outcome when we are faced with any clinical or medical adversity. We must begin to prepare now. This should be a loud alarm into what we must do to be proactive about our health and how we choose to move forward in this space. My heart goes out to the family of Shafanda. I was told that she loved to frequent various churches in her local community and more than likely is where she contracted the virus. We had many of our black leaders, particularly in the religious community, encouraging us to continue to frequent our local congregations because there was faith over fear. And again, it's not about lack of faith. It's about using wisdom. If we step out in front of a moving train, it should not come as a surprise that that individual would succumb to that train. There is no difference. The information has been right before us. We have to be under a rock not to hear what was happening and what was headed our way. Did the government do their job by informing us transparently and early? They did not. It is my suspicion that there is still information that is not being shared. It is my estimation that the government knew long before it first aired on CNN, which was one of the first networks to even mention this pandemic that was headed our way. It blindsided most of us.
we were not prepared in any way, shape, or form. Please sit back. Being quarantined is not nearly as bad as burying someone that is near and dear to you. We cannot take this virus for granted. We cannot take it lightly. Please do not allow these governors who are looking to appease to a certain base in some regard and disregard a population at the same time. Do not let them give you a sense of security because it would in fact be a false sense of security. I implore all of you to continue to exercise social distancing, to continue to frequently wash your hands, to continue to wear a mask anytime you're out in public. And please be clear, the mask is not necessarily preventing you from contracting it from someone else. It really is protecting someone else from you. I want to just commend all of those on the front line that are putting themselves in harm's way on a regular basis and their family members, unless they're living alone, they are absolutely putting their family members at risk. My prayers go out to all of them, not just healthcare workers, but all of the essential workers who are continuing to put their lives on the line so that we can have the goods and services that we need. I pray for those who are financially strapped and hopefully we can come up with a plan to get the states open in a strategic fashion that will have the health and well-being of the United States population at the forefront. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Advocate for Life. Be safe and be blessed.